0: This morning, we're going to be in John chapter 13, we're going to look at verses 1 through 17. So join me there. If you don't have a physical copy of God's Word, I encourage you to grab one. We have some in the back table there. John chapter 13, 1 through 17. We're going to look at this passage. I'm going to read this for us, then I'm going to pray and ask God to help us. John chapter 13, verse 1. Would you hear now the word of God? Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus The one who has bathed does not need to wash except his feet, but is completely clean. And you were clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. And if then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Uh, This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father God, we are grateful for your kindness. We are grateful for the opportunity to gather together this morning in this unique time with this unique people and spend time together in your word. Father, would you help us? Would you guide us? We ask that your spirit would work. A spirit, move in the hearts of each and every person here today, bringing exactly what we need. Would you help us to see how our Savior went before us, giving us an example to serve others as we have been served? So, Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. Use this time for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. So what would you do if you knew you were about to die? How would you spend your last hours? I'm sure many things come to mind, but certainly included, at least for most, would be time spent with the ones that you love. You would want to gather those that you love together spend time with them, give them the insight that maybe you've learned through life. And this is exactly what we see God himself, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ do. John 13 begins a five-chapter focus on the night before Jesus' death. Uh, This section of Scripture is commonly referred to as the farewell discourse or the upper room discourse because it focuses on Jesus' time with his disciples, the night of the betrayal, the night of his arrest, the night before he goes to the cross. Here we gain access to the heart of the Savior in a very unique way. Way, Uh, Puritan, Thomas Goodwin, called this section of Scripture, quote, a window into Christ's heart. So, brothers and sisters, let me just encourage you. One, read ahead. Go ahead and spend your time the next couple of weeks reading 13 through 17 uh, with anticipation of what's to come really focusing in on who Jesus Christ is, the things that he spoke to his disciples on this last night. I mean, John gives much attention here, much more than any other gospel writer. And we start off here in the first 17 verses of chapter 13 with Jesus really providing us a lesson of humble love. That is the title of today's sermon, A Lesson of Humble Love. This story is very familiar. It's very straightforward. And there are three headings that I want to present to you to just help us to encapsulate everything that is here. First is the lesson demonstrated. Second, the lesson explained. And third, the lesson applied. So the lesson demonstrated, the lesson explained, and the lesson applied. Look with me at verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So let's stop there, and I want to I paint the scene for you and help you gain access to what is happening here. So Jesus and his 12 disciples are in an upper room of a Jerusalem home. How did they get there? Well, practically they walked. Theologically, God put them there. Uh, we know this from Mark's, Mark's words in Mark 14. In 12 through 16, Mark gives some details that John doesn't include here. He says, and on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Jesus, where will you have us go and prepare for you the Passover? And he sent two of the disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar, jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Wherever he enters, say to the master of that house, he's going to see this man. They're going to see this man. He's going to be carrying a jar of water. They're going to follow him. They're going to go into this house. And this is what they are to say. The teacher says, speaking of Jesus, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room. That's where we get this from. Furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples went. They set out. They go. They found it just as he had told them. So in John's account, he he just transports us here into this room, into this setting. He he places us at the table. We we get a, a front row seat to this spectacular, glorious scene. John tells us here that Jesus knew his hour, which means he knew his time to die had arrived. He knew his time was short. Notice the divinity of Christ here. Unlike humanity, Jesus knows the future. Jesus knew what was ahead. Jesus was well aware of the painful cross that he was about to Endure. We also read that he knew where he was going after the cross. What does it say? It was that he would depart out of this world to the Father. Now, listen. Uh, give me. I'm going to give you a little uh, application here, little legs on this for the Christian life. In a lower sense, this is the same thing for Christians. No matter what trials and tribulations may come, we know where we're headed. We know where we are going. We know that passing through this life means entrance into the presence of God. And that is good news. What this means is that we can face all trials and tribulations with full confidence because we know... That even if death should prevail, that we have hope that far transcends anything that can happen on this earth. So brothers and sisters, allow that to put some steel in your spine. See, too often Christians let anxiety, which is fear of the future or fear of the unknown, control them. It allows them, they allow fear to to rob them of the ability to then serve others, to to really grab a hold of, of what the Lord is doing in their present time. But this text tells us here, and Jesus shows us a different way to live. We read that Jesus loved his own who were in the world so he knew what was ahead, he knew where he was going, and what did he do? He loved. He loved those who were in the world. Now, Lord willing, we will study this more in the weeks to come, exactly what uh, in the world here means, but it's important to see that Jesus is marking his people, his chosen people, off from the rest of world. The world, meaning the system, the the world that we live in. Does God so love the world? Absolutely. But He has a specific love for His people that He is now called out of the world. There is a special way that He loves them, and there is a specific way that we live now as His people. I want you to notice here, too, that Jesus loved them to the end. Uh, this is despite his foreknowledge that they will fail him miserably. Remember, uh, what's coming for the disciples? I mean, They fail. We've got denial. We've got running away in fear. We've got them falling asleep when Jesus says, hey, stay awake, stay alert, be on the lookout. And what do they do? They fall asleep. They deny the Savior who loves them, who has shown them everything that they need to move forward. The text tells us here that even though Jesus knew all that was to come, He loved them, He cared for them, and He displays this love in an extraordinary way, Christian, let this be a great encouragement to you. No matter what you do, no matter what you may see, no matter the trials, no matter the failures, you have a Savior who loves you to the end. If you are a true believer, listen, you're going to make mistakes. You will fail. You will stumble. You will sin. You will make mistakes. But you have a Savior who loves you. You have a Savior who is there saying, I understand. Repent. Make a way not to to do those things. And confess. Scripture tells us, right, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mean, this is Jesus with his chosen people. This is Jesus showing his people that those whom I've chosen are those whom I love. So make war on sin fight sin, flee from sin, but trust that when you fail, you have a Savior who loves you to the end. So the scene here is simple. Jesus is with his disciples. The cross is right before him. So what happens? Verse 2 tells us, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So verse 2 here tells us that the devil had already put the betrayal of Jesus in Judas's heart. Okay, And so he, he's already tempted him here with this betrayal, and Judas has accepted this temptation. J.C. Ryle is very helpful here as he writes pertaining this verse. Quote, this graphically describes the way in which Satan works. He casts into the heart of those he tempts the seeds of evil. The heart is the seed plot which he sows. Pay attention here. Suggestion is one of his chief weapons. The sin of man consists in opening his heart to the suggestion giving it a place and letting it sink down, end quote. So let me explain this here. See, Satan tempts us. There is temptation out there. And what happens is the human heart is, is that we, we allow these things, right? We allow these things to, to sink in. And then they, they birth themselves into action. And that is exactly what is happening here. This is why we are told in Scripture to flee temptation. Uh, this is why we are told in Scripture to flee immorality. It's not hang out with it and see what happens. It's flee from these things. We must flee from sin. When we have thoughts, we must take captive. We must speak truth against We must speak the word of God against thoughts. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, O God. I mean, this is how we are to make war. This is how we are to resist the devil, and he will flee from you. See, let Judas here be an example of what a failure to flee the devil can produce if we continually just play around with temptation, we continually allow immoral activity into our lives with what we watch, with what we listen to, with the people we are around, then brothers and sisters, let it be said that we will meet failure. This also... Serves to set the beautiful love of Christ uh, up against the the backdrop of the ugliness of evil. The deceit of Satan. I mean, we see here that Satan is using Jesus to betray. uh, Satan is using Judas to betray Jesus. Judas has become disloyal. Uh, He's become deceitful. He's become prideful. He's become greedy. He's a self-preserver. And in short, Judas is a taker. He wants to take what he can get at the expense of the king. On the other hand, we see Jesus here. We see Jesus Christ. And the the text tells us, John writes, that uh, he has all authority. That all authority has been given to him. It's been given into his hands. Once again, we see the divinity of our Lord here. He had come from God and was going back to God. So if anyone has the right to take anything, it is God himself who owns everything has every right to say, serve me now. I am God. Everything is mine anyway. But we see here that Jesus is not a taker. Jesus is a giver. Jesus is the giver and sustainer of all life. And after John builds a case for Jesus's great position He tells us that Jesus demonstrates humble love for those that he loves in this act of washing the feet of his disciples. Now, foot washing was a common practice in this time. Uh, The roads were not paved. Uh, They were dusty and often muddy. They were also uh, full of animal waste. Uh, it was filled with trash. I mean, it was not the greatest place to be walking around. The sandals of the day did not provide much protection. Uh, so before you would go into someone's house you or shortly after, you would wash your feet off, kind of like you might take your shoes off before you enter someone's house today. And as you might imagine, people weren't lining up to wash people's dirty feet, especially in those times. This was a task left to the lowest of servants. Appears never washed one another's feet. And it was unheard of to have a rabbi or a teacher wash those whom were following him's feet. I mean, he would not do this. But after John has reminded us of the divine position of Jesus as God, as the one who holds all things in his hands, he tells us that Jesus puts himself in the position of the lowest servant and washes the feet of those in the room. This is a great parallel to Paul's description in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Paul writes to the church in Philippi, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, So he's speaking to the Christians. He's saying, this is how we should live, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. So, what we see here is a lesson demonstrated. We see that this is a lesson that is being shown to those in this room. The Most High has lowered himself. I mean, he's he's brought himself down to the, the lowest point to model something spectacular. I mean, he wants to show an act of lowly service as a reminder to them of their need for humble love. So then he explains what has happened here. If you look at verse 6 with me, we see the lesson explained. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you... Wash my feet now, we can assume here that once Jesus started washing the feet, the room got awkwardly silent. Uh, it was probably pretty awkward uh, space and time that's going on right there, and so Peter, as always, he, he speaks up. Peter wasn't afraid to, to talk, he was bold, he was constantly uh, really putting his foot in his mouth and probably because they realized that they should have been doing this, Uh, they realized that now that Jesus is doing it, Peter speaks up and says, no, 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 this cannot happen this way. Not our leader, not the rabbi, not our teacher, our Lord. I mean, Jesus, you, you cannot do this. Paraphrased, these words would mean, you shouldn't be washing my feet. I should be washing yours. And Jesus answered him in verse 7. What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. Now listen, this is to say that there is a deeper meaning to the foot washing. It's not just about cleaning the stinky feet It's not just about getting their feet clean. There's something that is greater to be learned. It's not just the physical dirt here. There's spiritual cleansing. Now listen, there is much to be learned here for us today, church. There's so much in life that we do not understand now, but will understand when God sees fit. Once again, JC Ryle's comments on this passage are very helpful. Listen to this quote. He says, All is going on well, even when we think all is going on ill. When we cannot see it, we must believe it. In sickness, sorrow, bereavement, disappointment, we must summon. Up faith and patience, and hear Christ saying to us, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Brothers and sisters, I, I pray that those words would be impressed upon our hearts, that they would be etched within our minds, that no matter what is happening, in this world, that we would be able to say, we don't see it now, but we will see it one day. Some of it's going to be seen in this life. Most of it will be seen in eternity. Trust that the Lord is at work. Trust that for the believer, all things work together for good for those that love him, for those whom he's loved. But at this point, Peter's still against this. Peter says here, verse 8, you shall never wash my feet. I mean, he's he's kind of declaring here, like, this is never going to happen. The the Greek word that this is translated from actually means never for eternity. Like, never, ever, ever, ever will I ever, ever, ever let you wash my feet. It's not going to happen. I would never let it happen. So, Peter's pretty strongly opposed to this. What does Jesus say? Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Or, in other words, you won't belong to me if I do not wash you. But why? I mean, why would Jesus say this here? Like, what does this mean? Like, if I don't wash your feet, you, you don't have any part with me. It, I mean, what type of sense is this making? What's happening here is the foot washing that Jesus is doing here is a foreshadow of the washing that will happen on the cross. The, the washing of the sins. The the washing that will cleanse his people finally and fully. So he says, this is a symbol. This is a symbol. He says, I'm I'm, I'm putting myself in the lowest position as a servant. I've come to serve my people. I'm showing you here in a sign, in a symbol of what's to come. Ultimately, what does he do? He serves them by going to the cross, by dying for them. That's for us, for his people. He's saying, I'm going to show you here. Unbelievers in the room, those that may not have been washed by the blood. Let me just tell you, you have no part with Christ unless you have been washed by Christ. There's one way. And that is through Jesus, through faith in Christ and Christ alone. And this is the point that Jesus is making here. If you do not come to me as the one that can cleanse you, if you do not come to me as the one that can wash away your filth, there's no good works, there's no self-cleansing, there's nothing you can do to obtain salvation. It is only through Christ. He says, you will have no part. If you're an unbeliever, take heed the warning. There is eternity at stake. And today is the day. Tomorrow is not promised. This afternoon is not promised. Trust in Christ. Be washed by the blood of the Lamb. See, here, Peter shows us, and he changes his tone here. Verse 9, Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. I mean, what a roller coaster of emotions here. Peter's like, never do it all. I mean, (laughs) he's just, he's overwhelmed here. He's like, fine. Fine. If that's what it takes, then not just my feet, wash all of me. But look at what Jesus says. Jesus said to him in verse 10, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. I love John's circular. I mean, he's just making sure we get these points here. He's making sure we see this. He's making sure that we get the details. So what is Jesus saying? It's probably the most confusing part of this text if you don't uh, take the time to unpack it. What he's essentially saying here is that his disciples are spiritually clean, or in other words, they are saved. Remember, th- th- he chose them. He, he picked them. He has been, they have been chosen by God to be his people here. Uh, scripture tells us that we are chosen for salvation before the foundations of the earth. So before you and I were ever born, God knew us. And for those that are saved, he planned for our salvation. This is what he's saying here. But there's minus one. It's Judas. It's like one of, one of these chosen disciples actually was chosen for another purpose. We will get into that next week, Lord willing. He says, not every one of you. See, he knew who was going to betray him? So Jesus is saying here, you, "You don't need to be resaved, Peter. What you need right now is just you need washing. You need renewal. You need some continual renewal so you can continue on the journey, especially after I leave." See, the foot washing is a figurative sign of a continual relationship with Jesus. He chooses his people. He washes them clean on the cross. And he continues to serve them as they repeatedly go back to Christ for continued renewal as their feet get dirty as we travel in this world. See, that's why we confess our sins. That's why we have corporate confession. Why we come together weekly for corporate worship. See, we need gospel reminders daily because we fail. We need to go to God daily when we fail. See, this works by confessing our sin to God continually. We go to God. We say, I need you. I have failed you and I need renewal. I need cleansing. I need your spirit to work in and through me in ways that I cannot work myself. See, the point is really simple here. Jesus is the complete Savior. He he starts it and he finishes it. He does everything in between. Jesus is all we need. Some might ask, well, how could they be saved if Jesus hadn't died yet? Well, the same way all Old Testament saints were saved. same way we're saved, by faith in Christ. See, the only thing that's different is that we look back to what christ has done they were looking forward to what christ would do it's the same death on the cross that saves everyone it is jesus christ it is by faith in christ so jesus has explained this lesson i mean he has said here i'm washing your feet to show i am the servant who has come to serve my people, that loves my people, to give myself for my people. He says, I'm the only one that can save. I'm the only one that can renew. If you're not washed by me, you will not be mine. And then he applies it. He tells them exactly what they should do. And that's good for us, isn't it? We need to know how to respond with this. Look at verse 12 with me as we see the lesson applied. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place. Stop there for a second. Just, just look at John's words here. He resumed his place. He had lowered himself, and then he resumes his place back as teacher. To go back, he says to them, do you understand what I've done to you? Now, I mean, this is a straightforward question to show that there's meaning to what has just happened. It's like, I just did this. Do you understand what I just did? Jesus is not mincing his words. He's not trying to confuse them. He, He wants to ensure that they understand what has just happened. Verse 13 he says you call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet. Verse 15 For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. I mean, that's that's just common logic. Servant's not greater than his master. If you go to deliver a message, you have one job to do, and that's to to say the message that you've been given. In these times, if you did anything else, it was off with your head. I mean, Jesus says, giving you an example. And then in verse 17, he says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let me read that again. If you know these things, Blessed are you if you do them. So what is Jesus saying here? I've given you an example. In the same way I serve you, you should serve others. Now listen, people have misconstrued this passage and uh, implemented other sacraments as foot washing. That's not what's happening here. Uh, there's, I'm not against foot washing services and all of that. That's, um, but, but he's not saying, like, you got to go wash everyone's feet. What Jesus is saying is, contextually speaking, where he was, what was happening, this was the, the lowest of low. He, he's showing here that as I have lowered myself, you also should lower yourself and serve those around you. He's ultimately showing himself as the one that loves beyond anything that we could ever do. Listen, if we were there, most of us would be just like the disciples sitting around waiting for one another to wash our feet. But Jesus does something different. Jesus steps in and does what no one else was willing to do. Look back at verse 17. I read that twice, but I want you to just make sure you grab this. It says you will be blessed if you do these things. Essentially saying like, if you obey what I am teaching you, if you follow this example, you will be blessed. Brothers and sisters, if you've heard nothing else, hear this. A blessed life is a life of service. Listen, if you spend your life trying to be served and spending your time worried about what everyone else is doing to please you, you will be miserable. There are too many petty Christians that are just so worried about everyone else, that are just so easily offended And always think, right? Oh, they didn't do this. They they didn't do what I like there. And oh, I can't believe they said, did you see this? Did you hear that? My goodness. Listen, if we spent our time, our energy, our efforts into serving others, we wouldn't have time to think about the ways that they serve us. Yes, people hurt us. And I'm not negating your pain, your trauma. But for a lot of us, We need to move past a lot of things. We need to forgive, and we need to ask the Lord to change our hearts and make us servants like our Savior, serving others before we look to be served. Listen, Solomon, one of the richest men that ever lived, Man who had everything. He writes, Ecclesiastes, he says, all of this is vanity. I've got everything in the world. I have people that serve me. I have all the money. I have power. I have riches. I have women. I have anything that any human could ever want. And it's all vanity. And why? Because a life spent And self-service is a life spent miserably. He knew he needed God. He turned to God. Brothers and sisters, if we would be a people that continually aimed to serve rather than aimed To be served, we would live a much happier, blessed life. And I'm just delivering the words of God here. I mean, some of us need to just, like, write this down, need to put it on some little Post-it notes, put it as our screensaver, whatever we need to do, and, and just be reminded of this for the weeks to come. If we obey Jesus... If we follow his example of humble love, acts of service, that we will be blessed. See, we live in a self-centered society, don't we? I mean, it's dog eat dog. It's what can I get? What can I do? And I just want us to ponder the effects of this church With its 130 some members, 200 or so that gather on a Sunday. But if if this church just truly lived in the way that Jesus calls us to live here, I mean, imagine the effects that this could have in your dorm, on your campus, in your community, at your workplace in your homes with your family just imagine what could happen imagine if we then say we don't serve because we're great we serve because our savior's great we serve because we serve a savior who served us we'll get into it later as John will write Jesus' words that we will be known by our love for one another. Brothers and sisters, that is what we are called to do here. Self-sacrifice over self-centeredness. Humble love over haughty demands. Look, we can't accomplish this solely alone. I'm not advocating for works based salvation now we love because he first loved us and we need to pray and ask God to work in our hearts to change us and conform us into the image of Christ but brothers and sisters we must act we don't sit by idly we don't sit on the bench waiting for something to happen. No, no, we act upon the words of Christ and we aim to obey our savior. And we can do this by humble acts of love toward one another. Paul writes to the Romans in Romans 12, 10 through 13. He says, love one another with brotherly affection. It could be brotherly, sisterly, just affection, familial affection. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. Listen, man, that that is really something that we, we all need to work on, outdoing one another in showing honor. We don't really live in a culture of showing honor. We all need to do better at that. We need to honor those around us. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, Paul writes. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Like he's saying here, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy to serve those around us. It's not going to be easy to, to then to, to make ourselves uh, uh, and, and, and try to honor those around us. It's going to be hard. And then he goes on. He says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So brothers and sisters, I close with just encouragement reminder to so let us be a people who serve one another who demonstrate acts of humble love towards each other first and foremost and also to the world around us but listen we must be rooted in our understanding of our great savior's great love for us. See, see, that is what undergirds, that's what drives us, that's what we look to. That's our foundation. That is the root of our good works, is the love of Christ. So look to this passage. See that God Himself would humble Himself to save wicked rebels. Enemies of God. Oh, what a Savior. Church, He loves us. Christian, He loves you. He gave His life for you. He died and He continues by washing our feet, washing the dirt. Cleansing us daily as we continually return to him as our only everlasting hope. My prayer is that that would be our foundation. So we're going to sing here in a moment a wonderful song, Nothing But the Blood. But Before we sing, as the the band makes their way back to the stage, I, I want you to just take a moment. I want you to ask the Lord to to work in your heart here in this moment. Uh, If you're not a Christian, now is the time. Confess your sins to a forgiving God. Repent, turn away, and then pursue a relationship with him. Uh, For those of you that are believers, I encourage you right now to take time to ask the Lord to work in and through your heart, help you to obey his commandment. So I'll give you a moment here and then I will pray and then the band will lead us in song. Father God, we are thankful for who you are. Jesus, we thank you for your work. Spirit, we thank you for the way that you continue working in and through your word. So we ask now that your spirit would work in the hearts, the lives of each and every person here. That your word would not Return void as you promise that it will not. Change hearts, transform us. Would you make us all different than we walked in? Would you humble the haughty? Would you redeem those who need redemption? Would you bring renewal as needed? We praise you for your work. God, thank you for saving us. Help us to live in remembrance of what you've done for us, Jesus. It's in your name I pray. Amen.